All right, let's do this, you guys. Everybody grab their book, hold them up with a fork or something. We'll, we'll be in lesson two. We're going to finish off this amazing story. And then, guys, really gear up for next week. We're going to spend a couple weeks in the prodigal son. And if you think you know the prodigal son, I think you'll get a whole new taste to it. Some of you guys have already uh, listened to guys like Tim Keller, so you kind of know where we're going with this. But uh, most of us have heard the prodigal son in a very different light, like, you know, the bad kid that runs away type thing. And there's just a whole nother story going on there. Uh, so make sure you read that, pray over it, think through it, have fun with it. These are amazing stories. It's great to hear everyone talking about these stories and the characters. It's almost like you're getting in character, and that's what we want. That's how you want to read the Bible. Um, you don't just want to read it. You want to think about what's going on in the hearts of people. So lesson two, grace for a prideful man. Not the same uh, lesson as last week. We're dealing with Simon now. Um, so you can follow along in the text there, Luke 7, 36 to 50. Or if you have your Bible, it will be in Luke chapter 2. All right, you ready? All right, I'm going to have to get you guys a little excited tonight. This is a great time. All right, let me bow our, head. let me bow our heads. Let me bow my head. There we go. I got a little laughter. Uh, bow your heads with me. And uh, like I say every week, it's chaotic out there. And so what I want to do is I want us to bow our heads and really focus on calming our spirits, getting into a frame of mind where it's just us and God. Let's not think about all the things going on. Uh, cut your phone off if, if you can and just be in the moment present with God and watch what his Holy Spirit does. So let's pray together. Holy Father, we, we ask that you administer to us and we're, we know that we're called with joy to serve you, but we would ask as our Father and our God that you would serve us through the word and the spirit and change our hearts for your glory tonight. And as we look into these stories, Father, thank you that you have captured the errors in the human heart and that we can look in the Bible and that we can see that we're not alone in our struggle. We're not alone in our, our struggle with sin. There's a Simon in all of us. Um, there's, there's the character of this woman in all of us, but we do ask through your spirit that the character of Jesus would show up more and more in all of us. So would your Holy Spirit grant us as a gift of grace that this story would come radically alive and powerful to us. I pray that you would block out everything else going on in our worlds right now and that we would just give you the next 30 minutes or so, capture our minds in our hearts and bring us to a place to where we actually feel like we're sitting in this room and watching this scene unfold. Because in seeing these people interact and in seeing Jesus deal with them, as we look through the eyes of Jesus, we see our own hearts, we see where we can change and be free of, of sins that embed themselves in the corners, in the basements of our heart. And we want to be free of those things. So give us spiritual sight tonight. Help us to see these people as real people. Help us to get into their skin and feel them. And may you free us as we see our own hearts in them. And may we see more of Jesus. I pray that uh, you would continue to sanctify us. And I, I want to praise you, Father, for what's happened this week. I want to praise you for all the victories that keep happening and the hearts that 
keep turning and the trust that keeps building. And I, I just pray for more and more of it. I thank you for the powerful men and women that you have sent into this ministry who are deeply, deeply interested in praying for us here at Bethel and thrilled about the future here as a church and rooting us on. And I do pray that very powerful things would continue to happen. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Luke 7. Man, I just love this story. We had, we had a wonderful little debate, fun talk uh, in our little meeting, table meeting. And uh, I, want, I want the same thing to happen here tonight. Just have a, a lot of fun with this story and let's grow from the story. Of course, we're calling this series Grace Through the Eyes of Jesus. Again, why grace through the eyes of Jesus? This is the critical question if you're a Christian here tonight. What does being saved do to the heart? What is being saved? What does the gospel do to the human heart? Or how should being saved impact the way you see and feel about people? Um, just coming to, to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins is not the end of this thing. It's actually the beginning. That's why we say we're born again. But now we have this whole new life that the Spirit and the Word now raise us as new people. And we, we follow and learn the ways of our Father through the Word and the Spirit and the community of the church so we can become more like our Father as His children. So that's what we want to do is we want to see Jesus as the, the perfect human, the model of what it looks like to be fully human and see how He deals with all of these very, very interesting people, very complicated people. We want to learn how he deals with them, and we want to begin to emulate him as we deal with people in our lives. Now, next week, uh, as we've been looking at how Jesus deals with all these human beings and how he views them, next week we're going to see how Jesus views God and sees God the Father and, and how we can view God the Father correctly as well through the prodigal son's story. But this is, the, this is the question we're asking again tonight as we look at the end of Luke 7 and this great story. Is how should the gospel impact the way we see and feel about people? If something's alive, does it grow? Come on now. If you're alive in Christ, if you're born again, if you're rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, should you be growing? Now, I'm not going to freak anybody out by saying this or anything else, but when people say they're Christians and they're not developing, they're not, even though it can be a slow, painful process, if you're not developing more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, that's, that's not where we want to go. That's a bad sign because where there's life, there's growth. So as we look at these types of stories, we want to grow from them and prove to ourselves that God has regenerated us and saved us. So important to see that in our lives. So the best way we can learn how to see and treat people and grow into the likeness of Jesus is by looking through the eyes of Jesus through the scripture. We want to learn him, model him, see how he deals with people and emulate that through his spirit who is in us. And there's just going to be times in our lives, especially as we enter this story and, and begin to process the story, there's going to be times in our lives, man, when we encounter people who need to change, right? You with me on that? I mean, it's the, I, I can call myself a sinner, you don't call me a sinner, right? We kind of do that thing. There's people, I, it's, it's not about me growing, there's people in my life who need to grow. And I can tell you every little place they need to grow. But in all reality, I'm just being a little facetious there, but in all reality, there, there are going to be people in our lives who need to change. Sometimes it's going to be us, 
on the receiving end. Other times we're going to see people in our church or in our homes and we see them in a particular position of life and they just got to get out of it. They got to change. Uh, they got to grow out of that. We want them to change. We don't want them locked into that type of, of lifestyle. And the big question is, how do we go about that? What is our place? How do we deal with those people? Or how should we even view struggling people who we know need to change? And so what we're going to see in this story, you guys, Luke 7. Uh, we, we've already seen more than half of it. But what we're going to see or continue to see is a woman. She's kind of our, our central character. We're going to see this woman again. And she needs to change. We, we, have, we are 94% sure, right, Tim, that she's a prostitute. Like, that's, what we, that's our conclusion. We're 94% sure that she was a prostitute, and she needed to change badly. And so she goes to two people. She goes into a room. She goes to one person in Jesus. But there's two characters in that room. And it's amazing to watch how the two different characters, Jesus and this religious leader, Simon, and how they deal with her. Both know she needs to change. Both deal with her two different ways. Simon, our religious guy who should know better, Simon uses, I'm going to call it tonight, criticism, judgment. Jesus uses grace. Now, I want you to stop right there and think about that for a minute. This isn't to condemn anybody. This isn't to hurt anybody. But when you know someone needs to change, maybe it's in, a, in your home or, or in the church or whatever, think about it. Which are we more apt to use? Pressure, criticism, or grace? Because it doesn't make sense that if you show someone who's making bad decisions grace, they'll change. That makes no sense. If anything, they're going to abuse grace and, and stay in the lifestyle, right? So what we need to do is press them. And sure, there's a time for that. Sure, there's a time for that. But we're gonna, what we're going to find out through this series, that there's this grand paradox with grace. It's actually grace that changes people. And yes, there's, there's inevitably somebody who's going to say, no, nah, there's those times when you really got to buckle down and just rock somebody. Okay, I get it. I get it. Um, even God chastens us. But I believe even chastening is a gift of grace. So I want to show you, I want to prove to you the power of grace. And by the way, when I got saved and I was told, uh, you're the leader of your home, which freaked me out. Because I'm like, I'm not the leader of me yet. You know, I got to deal with my home and there's three wonderful people in my home and all this. Um, and I was trying to help. I, listen to this, guys. I was trying to help my family become better people. You know, I thought, you know, that's, that's my leadership responsibility. And it's, in, in a sense, it is. But I didn't use grace. What I used is, is pressure. I thought, you know, I'm going to lead and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point out when people are wrong. And, and they'll see that. They'll respect that. They'll, they'll learn from it. And they'll do what's right. And they will. But the long-run damage that was being done in my own home from using that tactic to change them began to be revealed by the Holy Spirit to me. And I began to realize that Jesus didn't use my methods. He used most of the time grace, and grace began to shape human hearts and change people. And then I began to think about this, you guys. How did God change me? How did God change me? He didn't say, John, if you don't obey me, I'm going to send you to hell and destroy you, so you better get this thing right. He showered me in grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it softened my heart. It was love that made me want to follow God. All of a sudden, man, I, I had to have these meetings and like crying and confessing. <laughs> like, man, hey, 
Sorry about the last six years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, we're going to start over as a family. But I want to show you the power of grace. The power of grace. And again, it took me a long time to trust the Lord that, wait a minute, if I show grace and teach in grace and, and shower my family in grace, they'll change a whole lot quicker and it will be a whole not, lot more powerful and natural than if I use other methods such as criticism and judgment. That's what we're going to see with Jesus and Simon. So here's this lady. We, we've learned about her, 736. Let's buzz through it real quick. One of the Pharisees, that's Simon, that's his name, asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. So it's after uh, the Sabbath, they leave the synagogue, and they go over to Simon's house. Simon's got a team with him, a crew. Uh, it's my belief that Simon is inviting Jesus over to trip him up, to prove that he's not who he says he is, and that he's a lawbreaker, therefore he cannot be from God. And so they enter this house, and it's kind of the, the high-thinking people, probably uh, rabbis and, and leading officials and government officials. And they go over to the house, and Jesus comes in, and verse 37 hits, and I love biblical language, and behold, which is like, man, something's going down. A woman of the city who was a sinner, great title. When she learned that he was reclining at table, when she learned that Jesus was going over to this religious leader's house. If she was a prostitute, she didn't care. She knew the rumors of Jesus. She probably heard Jesus teach that he's the miracle worker. He's the lover of souls. He takes in those who no one else wants. And she shows up. She bursts in the home. She's got an alabaster flask of ointment, a high dollar thing of perfume, probably used for her trade as a prostitute. And she shows up in verse 38. She barges in the door. It was all men in that meeting. And she stands behind him as, as Jesus is laying down on the floor eating around a large table with a group of probably religious leaders. She flings herself into the room. She stands behind him at his feet. And she begins to wail. I mean, the room goes silent. The disciples are probably in the room, leaned up against the, the back wall or around the table, staring at Jesus as this known prostitute, most likely, is standing in an all-men's meeting, an unclean woman, weeping uncontrollably. So much the so that she begins to wet his feet with her tears. I've cried hard before. Um, I can't imagine that. And then she gets down like no woman should have. She unwraps her hair, only meant for the husband to see. And she soaks her hair in her tears, and she, she begins to wash his feet. She kisses his feet. And then she anoints Jesus with that ointment. On this side of things, man, we read that and I, I tear up. It's amazing. But then we got this guy in the room, the homeowner, the religious leader, in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee, that Simon, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he was really the mouthpiece of God, he would have known who and what sort of this, a woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. He wouldn't have let her have done this. Now just stop right there. That, that's our scene we looked at last week. And what's so sad about this story is she's trying to get her life together, you guys. She's trying. Uh, man, how do, you, how do you come back? If she's a prostitute in that culture in particular, she's ceremoni ceremonially unclean and it's a religious culture. I mean, she's done. How do you come back from that, 
that depth of brokenness. She's trying. There's this one radical rabbi walking around, taking in these types, and he sweeps through her town, and she, she thinks, maybe he'll take me in. And John was even saying it as we were meeting and talking about this story. By her even coming into that room, she could have been, she could have been stoned to death. I mean, the risk that she's taking to come to Jesus right here, she's doing everything she can. She's so desperate to walk away from the lifestyle. And here's what's so hard about this story. And yet Simon, the religious guy, is criticizing her because of her past, holding her in her past, criticizing her for her decisions. And, and what's more, guys, he's also critical of Jesus. He's not just critical of this lady. He begins to criticize Jesus because of the way Jesus is handling the situation as well. Verse 39, he says, Jesus, if he knew what type of woman this was, I mean, what a, what a critical remark right there. And then he says about Jesus, he, he should have never let her do this. I mean, forget the scene. Forget the beautiful scene that's happening. And, and even breaking through culture here, this man simply has the heart and heart to criticize the scene. I mean, it, it blows me away. And yet, and yet, I see some of Simon in my own heart. And let me just stop here and ask this question. And again, without beating up Simon, because Jesus just pours love onto this guy, which is so great. But let me ask us this question. You've got a, probably a prostitute in the room. Who's the one in the story that really needs the most help? The religious guy, Simon. Where does the real problem lie and live? The real problem of the story that's being pointed out by the Holy Spirit is Simon's, Simon's critical heart. And, uh, and I, I'm, not, I'm not meaning this, directing this to a single person in this room. I'm directing it to me, and I want the Holy Spirit to search my heart and make me more like Jesus and not critical. So let me speak about criticism, and I don't want you to feel uncomfortable because we all struggle with it. We're all human, and Lord willing, I hope we all have a Savior who's showering us in grace, and hopefully we're all growing together. So be comfortable when I say this. It's okay. This kind of harsh criticism says a whole lot more about Simon's insecurities than the woman's sin. And uh, I, I've been tracking when I'm critical. And what I realize is when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm at my most critical state, it's when I'm at my most insecure states. And it's a whole lot easier just dragging everybody down where I feel like I'm, I'm at. And I think that's what's happening in Simon. I think he's very insecure about his own righteousness. That's why he's trying to prove Jesus wrong. And so he's, he's going to tear everybody down in the room to make himself feel like more. I, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be like that. And furthermore, um, I'm really glad in the story that Simon was simply thinking these critical thoughts and not saying them. I love it. I love the fact that he thought it and it didn't escape his mouth because I'm thinking to myself in that room, what in the world would I have done if Simon would have actually said those critical remarks? I mean, man, that could have bruised that woman forever. Uh, that, could, that could have hurt a lot of people in that room. 
And uh, here's the thing about criticism. It would have utterly failed at getting any type of positive change in this woman's life if he would have openly rebuked her for what she had done. And here's why. Because criticism embodies two things. Two things that every one of us hates. This is why we don't respond and change from criticism. We hate submission and we hate being devalued. And that's where Jesus comes in and he says, look, Simon, that is not going to change this woman. What's going to change this woman is grace. Is giving her a sense of value and hope and forgiveness for the future. That's what will change her. Love will, love will bend the heart. And what's crazy about Simon is I learn this guy and see so much of him in myself. Simon was smart enough to figure out that criticism doesn't work. Why in the world was he thinking it? He, he knows it doesn't work. Probably that ego defense. He's probably struggling in his own heart. So Jesus says the most awesome thing, and that's why he's my hero. He does the most amazing thing in this story that I want us to just bask in and enjoy and become. Rather than focusing on changing this woman through any type of criticism, the story just shifts on a dime. It's, it's the centerpiece is this woman, this, this probably this prostitute who barges in the room and, and all the attention on, is on her, all of a sudden this narrative just shifts to Simon and Jesus goes, Simon, I'm going to forgive her and love's going to warm her and change her forever, but you need that too. We're going to talk and I want to get you to experience what she just experienced so you can be changed too. I mean, it's just amazing. Jesus is mowing everybody down with grace. 7.40, so watch the story shift from the lady to Simon. Simon becomes the, the character now. And Jesus answering said to him, now that messes with your head right there. Because in 39, like he's just thinking these thoughts. And Jesus kind of, he just does this right here, you guys. He just kind of turns and goes, oh, what was that, Simon? You know, and Simon's like, what do you mean? Simon, you know what I mean? We're going to talk. Gentleness of Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, guys, hang on this. Just hang on this. Get in the room. Simon, I have something to say to you. Here's what Simon says. Uh, say it, teacher. Uh-oh. Game on. What's, what's up, Jesus? So here's what's going to happen. Perfect setting for Jesus to rock this guy, right? Hammer this guy. You know, he's Jesus. Justifiable criticism, justifiable judgment right here. Simon, look at what you've done here, right? But he doesn't. So let's look at one thought. It's, it's the title of this, this lesson, Grace for a Prideful Man. And let's, see, let's watch how Jesus even begins to shape the heart of this prideful man. Grace, grace. And by the way, we'll get into it in a number of weeks. Grace doesn't mean we excuse sin. It's just the spirit in which we deal with sin. So here's what I love about Jesus, <laughs> especially as I read Luke. Man, he's so steady, and he's so in control. Jesus is the master of dealing with the human heart. And so here's what he's got to do with Simon. He needs to show Simon his critical heart with truth and grace. Because if he does it just with truth, he's going to crush this man in front of his peers. If he just shows grace... Ah, Simon, Simon, you know, it's all good. We'll just love him without allowing Simon to see that there's a better way to live life. He fails. And that's why Paul tells young Timothy, 
preach and teach and lead with truth and grace. Correct with a spirit of understanding. We all need that. So this is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to do surgery, and it's going to be beautiful and tactful and gentle yet firm. So while people won't change through criticism, or they'll, they'll change in a false way, they'll change out of fear, and it will one day come crashing back on the critic. While people won't change through criticism, people will change through cooperation if they think you want to work with them through grace. Hey, I want to help you. What does Proverbs 15.1 say? Anybody got that memorized? Anybody? Come on, it's a safe place. Grace. A soft answer turns away wrath. How interesting is that? You know, everybody's got, so you guys got it started. It's all good. It's a team effort. You know, we put these, uh, these great, like, wood plaques in our, um, as, as for me and my house will serve the Lord. That would be a great one to put in the house right there. A soft answer turns away wrath. So Jesus, Jesus is going to go at this guy with truth, but it's going to be soft to where Simon doesn't want to fight back. He doesn't want to argue. And what's your natural reaction when someone comes at you with, with harsh words? Yeah, it's on. Like, Really? Okay, here we go. You know, we got the scoreboard in the sky, and it's like, it's one nothing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie the game. But when you, come, when you come with grace, it softens the heart. Someone sees that you care about them. That person lets down the guard, and they allow you, even though it's uncomfortable, to begin to speak into their life. So Jesus is going to tell a story, and the story is going to weave Simon into the story very gently, and Simon's going to see himself as one of the characters, and he's going to start feeling conviction. So in telling this story, it allows Simon to see himself as one of the characters. And Simon begins to judge himself, guys. And that's the beauty of using grace. When you use grace to show someone, hey, I love you. You know, preface it. I love you. I make mistakes too. But I want to talk to you to help you. All of a sudden, that, that guard comes down. And you begin to judge yourself. You begin to say, yeah, I am doing that. Yeah, you're right. I, I, do need to, I, I do need to work through that. So let's look at it real quick. Luke 7. And what a great way, what a great thing for our church to learn. Um, let's deal with each other. But let's deal with each other with grace. A, a soft word will, will, will turn away wrath. It won't create an, an argument. It will create thought if we come to each other in love like Jesus. So look at Luke 7, 41 to 43. We'll buzz through this just uh, uh, real quick. So here's the story. Here's how Jesus deals with him. Again, no rebuke. He doesn't hammer him. He doesn't, he doesn't beat him down in front of his peers. He just gently begins to tell a story. He goes, Simon, okay, here's the deal. A certain money lender had two debtors. <laughs> what a bizarre way to start a conversation. Verse, verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. Well, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. You'll <laughs> be like, what? What is going on right here? This is just Jesus right here. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Now, just flow with me here. There's two characters. Simon's already picking up on the story. It's the woman and him. They're both debtors. One owes $75,000. One owes $7,500. The big question is, who's the big debtor? Verse 42. When they could not pay, he, that's the money lender, 
canceled the debt of both. That's grace. That's salvation. Now here's the trick. Jesus goes, Simon, now which of them will love him more? Simon knows what's going on now. Probably takes his time, <laughs> thinks through it. Remember, it's a room full of peers. Simon answered, the one, I suppose, what's happening right there, guys? Conviction. His heart is beginning to soften. He's feeling it. He's feeling that he's off here. He's wrong. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And, and Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Now you say, well, what happened in that story? Here it is right here. Watch what Jesus does. In verses 44, 45, and 46, Jesus contrasts this guy to the woman. And what ends up happening in three verses is this guy realizes, Simon realizes that he is much worse than this woman. And because of the way Jesus dealt with him with love, Simon's heart begins to soften. Uh, 7.44. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, Simon. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. What is he saying? He says to Simon, you gave me no water. Jesus is not asking for Simon's servant to wash his feet. He's just saying, you didn't even give me water so I could wash my own feet. I'm not even asking for much, Simon. But the woman, she's wet my feet with her tears. She treated me with amazing love. And you disrespected me, Simon. Verse 45. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You gave me no kiss, Simon. Equals, equals kissed each other's cheek when they entered a room. Jesus got no respect from Simon. But she has not ceased kissing my feet. Simon, she loves me. 46. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Oil? Oil was nothing. It was cheap. It was a cheap way of honoring a guest. Simon, you didn't even respect me enough to use oil. She anointed my feet with ointment. Probably the most costly thing she had. Now, when it comes to me, Simon, Jesus is saying, who's treated me worse? Who's the greater sinner now? And you can just feel Simon's heart drop. All the religion, all the self-righteousness. And now he's saying that, man, I'm worse than this woman. And what's amazing is that Simon hears the care and the grace in Jesus' voice. Jesus is not crushing him. He's hearing the grace in Jesus' voice. His defenses are down. And what's so amazing is Simon is silent through the rest of the story, just contemplating this moment. Look at 747. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Simon, you didn't love me like her. You got to search your heart deeper. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
then those who were at table with him begin to grumble. They're all, they're all grumbling about Jesus. They begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Who is this guy think he is? And Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And the whole time, not a thing is said about Simon. He just, he's like he's sitting there just thinking through this moment. But I love the idea that he's not crushed. At least it's not revealed in this story. Because he hears the care of Jesus and the grace of Jesus. I want to be, be more like this. So I'm going to give you two thoughts. I'm out of time here. I want to give you two thoughts. And then we'll go into some discussion here. We all struggle with criticism at times. Can we just say amen to that? We all struggle with criticism. I struggle with criticism at times. So as a group, as friends, let's meditate on two things to begin to reduce this and fight this off, this criticism. That's in all of our hearts. And you may say, ah, oh, that doesn't sound right, but, but it should sound beautiful if we meditate more on our sin and more on the size of Jesus' grace, it will humble us in our view of other people. When I'm at my highest critical heart, it's because I'm not thinking about my sin enough and how amazing Jesus is towards me. Man, that's a beautiful, liberating place to live. And two... If you need to help someone who's critical, and, and we're going to have people that come across our paths like that. I'm going to have seasons where I'm critical. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need help. If you need help to help someone who is critical, go at them with truth, but saturate it in grace. So they let down their wall, they open up their heart, and they begin to, to move in a direction of change. All right?